pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Jesus paid a great price for our freedom. Yes. I think we need to enjoy it a little more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 this morning. We talked a couple weeks, three weeks ago, we started teaching on the blood of Jesus. And we talked about the children of Israel and the exodus from Egypt and how they applied the blood of an innocent lamb along the, around the doorposts and lentils of their houses and the destroyer was held at bay. He wasn't allowed to come into the houses that had the blood applied. And then we looked at uh, Rahab the harlot and how she made a deal with the spies and they told they gave her a token of the blood and said, hang, hang this scarlet thread out your window and when we come in and we uh, defeat Jericho, will save you and your household, everybody that's in the house. And so she applied the blood as a token. She didn't slaughter a lamb or anything, but that scarlet thread represented the blood of the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth. Yeah. And so uh, we're gonna continue talking about the blood of Jesus this morning, and we're gonna learn how to apply that blood to our lives. We're gonna learn how to plead that blood over our lives. So we're going to start reading here in Genesis chapter 3, shortly after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and God was pronouncing the consequences of their disobedience and sin over them. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, this in the King James, it says, And unto Adam he said, God said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hath eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. In other words, you're going to have to work for everything now. Before, when he was in the garden, everything was right there, hanging from the trees, and he just helped himself. Now he's going to have to work for everything. And, uh, and cause the ground to bring it forth. And along with it is gonna be problems and trouble. Uh, there's gonna be thorns and thistles. But he said, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And verse 21 says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So here we are barely into the third chapter of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and God is already revealing the plan of redemption. He's given us a picture of redemption, and he's pointing to the shed blood of an innocent animal to cover man's sin, disobedience, and rebellion, because that's exactly what Adam did. And you say, well, I don't see any mention of blood here, but no, not directly, but I'll guarantee you that when God slayed them two animals, that, that the blood flowed from them, and I bet you that when he covered Adam and Eve with those bloody skins, they were still wet and warm. Amen. And uh, Adam and Eve had never seen blood before. Uh, and, and neither did they know anything about death. And, and it wasn't until they sinned. But now since they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they become like God. When God created us in his image and likeness, he made us exactly like him with the exception of knowing the difference between good and evil. And he said, don't eat from that tree. And so uh, that was, I mean, he gave them the whole garden, everything in it. And that was the only thing he asked is that they not touch that tree or eat from the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and, uh, and he didn't want them to experience that tree because it included death and it included bloodshed. And then in Genesis 3.22, we're going to pick it up in the NIV now. It says, And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Before, he wasn't exactly like God. He was in the image and likeness of God. But now he's just like God because he knows good and evil. And uh, God wanted to reserve that for himself. So he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Remember, there was two trees in the garden, the tree of life that Adam and Eve had to eat from on a regular basis in order to live forever, to live eternally. And then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of that tree, because in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And he was talking about spiritual death because the day they ate it, they didn't die physically. They were banished from the garden, as we're going to read here in a minute. And they lived a long time after that. Adam lived some 900 years after that. So God was talking about spiritual death, which is separation from God. That's part of the curse, separation from God, spiritual death. And the day that Adam disobeyed and rebelled against God and ate of that tree, he was, he was rejected from God's fellowship no longer fellowship with God because God can't fellowship with sin so God had to have a remedy for sin which he had from the foundations of the world he he knew Adam was going to sin Adam didn't catch God by surprise and and God had already had a plan for Adam and humanity before he ever even put put him in the garden then in uh Verse 23, it says, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, it blocked Adam from returning to the tree of life. And, and some people think it was kind of hard for them, and, and God was kind of hard on them. But I don't know why they would think that because he gave them everything in the garden. He gave them dominion over all of the works of his hand. He gave Adam anything that he wanted except for the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat from that tree. And so I don't see how it's unfair because God told him not to eat from it. He, he showed him. It wasn't like Adam didn't know. He showed him the tree. He said, don't eat the fruit from that tree. If you do, you will surely die. He told him the penalty for eating up the tree and everything else. I don't see how God could have been any more fair than that. But just the one tree, everything else, Adam, you could have. But isn't it funny how mankind will gravitate to the one thing he don't have? What happens when you tell your little children, say, don't, don't mess with that. that? They can't get it out of their mind. That's all they can think about is that until they get in trouble. And that's kind of what, where we got it from was from Adam. Because even though God said, don't mess with that tree, that's probably what Eve and Adam thought about quite a bit. I wonder what's up with this tree. But we talked about El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth Wednesday. So let me ask you this question. Does he have the right to reserve something for himself? He's a possessor of heaven and earth. He owns everything. It seems to me like he should be able to say, look, you can have all of this, but don't touch that. You can have 90%. All I want is 10. Don't touch that. I think he has a right to do that. Don't you? Since it all belongs to him anyway. We act like we're giving God something. We're not giving God anything. He owns it all. It's his anyway. And you know what? If none of you ever gave anything to the kingdom of God, God would still go on. The kingdom would still go on. Amen. God don't need us. We need God. Amen. 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 Besides, like I said, he told them what would happen if they took something that belonged to them, didn't he? They were warned. I mean, they were educated about it. There was no excuse for them to do it. And besides that, if he didn't do what he said he would do, then he would be a liar. And we wouldn't be able to believe anything in the Bible.
Because if we catch God in one lie, how do we know any of the rest of it is true? How do we know every time we read something in the Bible, we wonder, is that true or is it a, another lie? I mean, that's, that's nature. That's how we are with people, right? You lie to me once, it's always going to be in the back of my head. And every time you tell me something, I'm going to wonder. I want to trust you. I want to believe you. But you lied to me before, so I wonder if you're lying now. So God couldn't lie. As a matter of fact, it's in the Bible. He says, God is not a man that he should lie. God can't lie. That's one of the things that God can't do is lie. So if he didn't uh, pronounce judgment on them, he would be a liar. And then Adam and Eve would have continued eating from the tree of life and lived forever. Well, what's wrong with that? They would have lived forever in a fallen, sinful state. And they would have been lost forever. So God had to block the way. Man would have to experience death now. They should have just left that tree alone, huh? And you know what? <laughs> when we get to heaven, I think Adam and Eve, you won't be able to see them right away because I think they're going to be flocked from, uh, especially Adam, you know? People are going to be wanting to know, why did you eat from that tree? <clears throat> Do you know what I went through because you had to have a bite of that fruit? But I don't think God was too hard on them and driving them from the garden because of those circumstances. But let's go to Genesis chapter 4 now. We're going to read verse 1 through 12. It says, Adam made love, this is in the NIV, it's a little easier to understand than the King James, but it says, in the King James said, Adam knew his wife. Well, unless you knew biblical language, you wouldn't know what that meant, but the NIV tells you, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So Cain had an opportunity here to do what was right. And he knew what was right. Or the Lord wouldn't have told him if you do what's right. But anyway, that's my introduction. And before we start talking about pleading the blood, we'll, get, we'll come back and forth to this, but we need to define it because most people think that the word plead means to beg. Uh, and that is just one of the definitions of it. But in the sense that we're using it here today, it doesn't mean to beg. It means to declare something. And uh, it means to plead uh, or argue a case or a cause in a court of law. In this case, it's the courts of heaven that we're arguing our case before. And it allows you to claim something that legally belongs to you. It's like the fifth, uh, claiming uh, the fifth, you know, say I plead the fifth. Well, that's referring to the Fifth Amendment in our Constitution that gives us the right to remain silent if uh, we think it will incriminate us or involve us in the crime. So that's a legal right that we have. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. I mean, sometimes uh, uh, it saves somebody from incriminating himself and he, he skips from a jail sentence that he deserved all because he, ple he pled the fifth and he kept his mouth shut. So uh, when it comes to things I'm going to try to behave here, but when it comes to things that we allow to come out of our mouths, sometimes we should plead the fifth. 
and just keep our mouth shut because it gets us in trouble first with the devil and then it gets us in trouble with God. So some things are better left unsaid. And when the devil comes and accuses you or something, or, or something comes up, and you're about to open your mouth and speak something negative, you should just say, I plead the fifth. And keep your mouth shut before you get incriminate yourself. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. And if you got to say something, thank God we can look at the devil and say, I plead the blood. Because he's going to accuse you. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so when he comes and accuses you, usually he's right. He'll accuse you of something that you did. It might have been 20 or 30 years ago, but you did it. And he'll accuse you of it. And he wants you to plead guilty so that he can pronounce a penalty on you or a punishment. Just say, I plead the, the, the blood. Don't, don't plead the fifth till you plead the blood. And when you say, I plead the blood, you're, what you're doing is presenting your case. And that activates an advocate that you have in, in heaven uh, he's your he's your advocate, he's your lawyer, he's your umpire, he's your counselor, and all of a sudden now I plead the blood and Jesus comes on the scene yes. and then he first thing he tells you is and now plead the fifth. Yes. You don't need to say anything else after that. Yes. I got you. Amen. Hallelujah. But God taught Adam about blood sacrifices the day that he killed those two innocent animals. I guess they were lambs. And the reason he did is because the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's the blood that makes atonement. There's no remission of sin without the blood. Because of the blood of Jesus, we're cleansed from all sin. All sin. And so we, he had a reason to teach him about blood covenants and blood sacrifices because He's telling Adam that since you sin, you're going to have to offer blood sacrifices to cover your sin until I bring a permanent blood sacrifice on the scene. So he's giving us a picture of redemption here. And I know for a fact that Adam taught his children because he realized how important that blood was when God killed those first two innocent animals and, and put their bloody skins on him and Eve in the garden. Adam understood what it was to have his sin covered. He tried to cover his sin with fig leaves, if you remember. And, and you know, they were naked because he said, uh, you know, uh, God was saying, Adam, where are you? And they said, we, we hid in the garden because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? See, they had the knowledge of good and evil now. And so uh, they come out with their fig leaves on, which represents a fig leaf religion, uh, you know, God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do my thing, and I'll, I'll just cover my own sin. Well, you go to hell with those fig leaves wrapped around you. I'll tell you right now, it's going to take a blood covering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I know Adam taught his children. It wasn't unusual. I mean, they just came uh, in the course of time, the Bible says, and brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought an offering that was not pleasing. Abel brought an offering that was pleasing. One was a blood sacrifice, one was bloodless. And God required a blood sacrifice, and that's what he expected. So God rejected Cain's offering, but he gave him a chance to repent and told him, if you do what's right, he said, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? God is always forgiving. He's always telling you how to get out of the mess that you got yourself into, but we got to listen to him and we got to obey what he says to do. Amen. But that tells me that Cain knew what was right, but instead of doing it, he just figured, I'll just get angry and jealous of my brother, and he just refused to do it. Now look at verse 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Now what was Cain? He was a worker of the field. So while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And he says, now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. 
He's going to be a hobo now. He's just going to wander the earth. Don't bother settling down. Don't bother planting any seed because nothing's going to grow. You're going to get all your food from begging and from other people. So Abel, the second son of Adam, was killed by Cain, the first son of Adam. Cain is a farmer. He knows how to till. He knows how to plant. He knows how to pray for rain. And he knows how to harvest. That, that was his forte. And one day Abel, the second son of Adam, leaves his field, or, or leaves his pasture, his field, where he's raising sheep, and he goes to Cain's field, which is the first son of Adam. And while he's there, Cain, the first son of Adam, lifts up wicked hands and slays Abel, the second son of Adam. So here we have a record of the first murder ever to happen upon the earth. So in, in just these two chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4, we have the first shedding of innocent blood in chapter 3. And now we have the first murder on the earth here in chapter 4. So Cain, the first son of Adam, buries Abel, the second son of Adam, in the ground that he works. And he walks away thinking he'll never have to deal with his brother again. But then something happens that he wasn't expecting. See, what Cain didn't realize was the innocent blood of his brother Abel was being absorbed into the ground. And while it's being absorbed into the ground, it begins to cry out to God. It cries out for justice. It cries out for vengeance. And so God heard it. And God knew what Cain had done because Abel's blood was pleading with God against Cain. So Cain never counted on it innocent blood to speak he thought he got away with murder and this is a perfect picture of redemption we already knew that God was leading to it in chapter 3 when he slayed those two innocent animals and now he's showing us a type and shadow because Jesus Christ is called what the second Adam and humanity is called the first Adam it's a perfect picture of, of redemption. You and I were in the first Adam. We were part of humanity. So God first revealed the plan, like I said, in the third chapter. And then he shed the, uh, he shed the blood of those innocent animals to not just cover the sin of Adam and Eve, but to cover the sin of humanity. He was showing us how the sin of humanity had to be covered. It had to be covered with blood. But that was the first Adam. And now in the very next chapter, God has given us a picture of, of redemption again because Jesus, the second Adam, like the son of the first Adam, left his field in heaven and came down to humanity's field on the earth and he took on sinful flesh and walked the earth among us. So while the second Adam, Jesus, is in the field of the first Adam, humanity, the first Adam lifts wicked hands. The Jewish people and the Gentiles, the Romans, got together, lifted wicked hands, and they slayed the second son of Adam, by, or, or the second Adam, by nailing him to a cross. The second Adam is, is slain and betrayed by his brother, the Jewish people, and he's whipped, and then he's nailed to a cross. But just like before, the devil didn't consider the power that was in the blood. And as that blood drained from Jesus' body and flowed down that old rugged cross, and as it leached into the ground, it was crying out to God, and it was speaking on our behalf, and it was seeking restitution, it was seeking vengeance, it was seeking redemption. For who? Humanity, the ones that slayed him. The brother that slayed him. So Jesus' blood cries out. And that blood has been speaking and pleading for over 2,000 years. And it's speaking louder now than it's ever spoke before. Because preachers like myself and Pastor Ed and Brother Darrell won't stop preaching about the blood. We'll continue to teach and to preach about the blood because that's how important the blood is. If you don't know the power that's in the blood, the devil will take advantage of you for the rest of your life. 
You have got to know your authority and you have got to know what defeats the devil and it is the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. The blood speaks on your behalf and you have to testify of it to experience its power. So the devil didn't consider that again. Amen. And, and so Jesus' blood is crying out. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the blood of Jesus, the second Adam, is still pleading for humanity. It hasn't stopped. It's still saving. It's still healing. It's still delivering. It's still protecting. It's still doing everything that it did before. It's still defeating the devil. And, and, and that blood is just as powerful now as it was when it was first shed. And what's nice about it is you can plead the blood over your body, you can plead the blood over your mind, you can plead the blood over your family, your finances, your property. You can plead the blood over everything that is near and dear to you because it still saves and it still protects. Yeah. It still draws boundaries and it still keeps the destroyer out of your house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some people are still living with the destroyer in the house. Amen. All right, I'm going to obey the Lord this time. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I had to think about it for a minute. I'm getting good at that, though. I started to hear from the Lord, and before I, just, before I knew it, I just flew off with it. Now I stop and ask. And he said, uh-uh, don't say it. God, I don't want to say it so bad. <laughs> but anyway, before the blood, you had to either plead guilty, which you were, you were guilty, or you had to plead the fifth. That's the only options we have. But now when the devil attacks you in these areas, you can plant your feet, square your shoulders, set your faces flint, and say, devil, I plead the blood of Jesus. And you say, yeah, but no, no, I claim the fifth now. I plead the fifth now. That's all I have to do is plead the blood of Jesus. And then I plead the fifth. I keep my mouth shut. Amen. Because the blood of Jesus is greater than he is. Amen. It's more powerful than he is. It's stronger than he is. His blood saved me, cleansed me, delivered me, and utterly defeated the devil at Calvary's cross. There's no doubt about it. Hallelujah. Now, I don't mean to sound cocky. I don't, I don't ever want to sound cocky. Uh, you know, I'm part of the first Adam. I'm part of humanity. I'm frail. I'm weak. I'm uh, easy to tempt. I'm all of those things. I'm guilty. But Jesus pled guilty on our behalf. And he took our place. So now instead of me pleading guilty, I said, I plead the fifth. Talk to my big brother, my advocate. Jesus. Now here's where it gets interesting. Turn to the book of the prophet Isaiah to a chapter of scripture that we're all very familiar with. Isaiah chapter 53. And I want to say this first. Isaiah was considered one of the most prolific messianic prophets in the Bible. And what that means is that a messianic prophet, prophet sees Jesus in the future and describes him. And nobody describes him more vividly than Isaiah the prophet. He prophesied of Jesus in more detail than any of the other prophets. As a matter of fact, this vivid description of Jesus that we're about to read was written some 600 to 700 years before Jesus even came to the earth. Isaiah sees Calvary and sees a cross that was never even invented yet. He didn't know where Calvary, Calvary was or what Calvary was. He didn't know what a cross was because it had never been invented. But yet he describes the cross. He describes it vividly. In Isaiah 53, 3 through 7, and then we'll skip down to 10. And read a couple verses there, but I'm reading in the NIV. Isaiah is seeing Jesus in the future, some 700 years ahead. And he says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we, humanity, held him in low esteem. Isaiah is seeing him. He's seeing what he's going through. He's seeing the way we rejected him and the way we treated him. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own knew him not. That's his brother. Verse 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. In other words, they were blaming Jesus. You're getting what you deserve. God, God has given you a just punishment because you deserve it. You must have did something that displeased God. So here we have to understand that none of this was by accident or happenstance. Everything Isaiah is seeing was intentional. And the shedding of Jesus' blood was intentional and with purpose. It didn't just happen because he made a bunch of Jews mad. And then in verse 5 it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And I don't know if you ever noticed this before, but he just now changes verb tenses. Isaiah changes verb tenses, and he jumps from the past tense into the presence and, and declares, by his wounds, we are present tense healed. He's in the future, he's in the past, now he's in the present. And Isaiah is telling us that the blood, the beating, the stripes, the bruising, the crucifixion, wasn't all past tense. Like we're looking at in the past. That happened already. It's in the past tense. He's telling us plainly that there's an eternal now in the crucifixion and the blood that Jesus shed. It might be past tense. It might have been over 2,000 years ago, but it is right now. It is present tense, and tomorrow it will be right now, and anytime in the future it will be right now present tense. There's a present tense value to it now. I know it was 2,000 years ago, but the crucifixion is still just as effective today as it was then. And that's why the blood of Jesus still cleanses us from all sin. Verse 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us. He said, we all, every one of us have gone astray has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Isaiah seen that 700 years before. He's seen that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why I say it wasn't happenstance. It just it didn't happen because Jesus made a bunch of people mad. Verse 7 says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Sounds like the fifth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He said that twice. And then in verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. God crushed him. It was God's will that Jesus be whipped and crucified and nailed to a cross. God caused that. That's why I said it's not happenstance. Verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. This is the second Adam bearing the iniquities of the first Adam. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He poured out his life unto death. What does that mean? How could you pour out your life? Well, Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. So the blood is life. You can't live without the blood. 
physically or spiritually. You'd be physically dead if your blood drains out, and you'd be spiritually dead without the blood of Jesus. Without that blood transfusion that Jesus provided on Calvary, you're dead all the way around, dead like a dog. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when he poured out his life unto death, he poured out his blood unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. Didn't he have one on his left and one on his right? For he bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. He's hanging on the cross and he's making intercession for the two on the cross and for the ones that crucified him. Could you do that? I couldn't. I'll tell you right now, I couldn't. Well, you can do all things through Christ. I wouldn't have been able to do that. I'd have been mad at them. I probably wouldn't have made it to the grave. I'd have come off that <laughs> cross. You know how he made that scourge of cords and made a whip and drove everybody out of the temple? I'd have grabbed one of them Roman swords and shield, and I'd have went through that whole place. And then I'd have said, to hell with you all. And I would have flew back to heaven. I know that's what I would have did. But Jesus did. God asked Cain, remember, where's your brother Abel? Where's your brother Abel, Cain? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? He's trying to distract from what he's done. He's trying to change the subject. And isn't it strange, when you catch someone red-handed, they deflect to someone else to take the spotlight off of them. Yeah, but what about so-and-so? You know what they did? I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about you. See, they won't deny their wrongdoing, but they won't own up to it either. Cain didn't deny it, and he didn't own up to it. They try to deflect and make it look like you don't know what they did, but God knew what they what he did. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, Cain, as a matter of fact, you are your brother's keeper. So Cain, the first son of Adam, he's like the first Adam, which is humanity, who was sinful. That's you and I. But Abel, he's the second son of Adam. He's a picture of Christ. The second son of Adam, who represented who represented humanity and shed his blood for humanity. But like I said, Jesus wasn't murdered. He wasn't taken advantage of. He wasn't overpowered and outsmarted by the devil. He didn't die a martyr's death for some frivolous cause. He went to the cross willingly. He kept his mouth shut in front of Pilate. All he had to do was say one word. And he would have been vindicated and, and released. But he came, his mission was to bring redemption to mankind, to bring redemption to the first fallen Adam. He was doing it for us. And we read in Isaiah verses 9 and 10 that Jesus was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And the Bible said he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Why did he mention that twice? Because it's that important. Jesus pled guilty for us. Because if he would have opened his mouth and pled innocent, then legions of angels would have come into the earth and swept everybody into hell and would have took Jesus back to heaven. That's why he kept his mouth shut. He then pled the fifth on our behalf. Wouldn't open his mouth because he didn't want to incriminate us. He was representing us. So if he would have opened his mouth, he would have incriminated us. And so he never said the words, but in a sense, he pled the fifth. He kept his mouth shut so he wouldn't incriminate us. He says, no, it's all on me. I took on their sins. I took on their iniquities. I'm their substitute. I'm dying in their place for what they did 
talking about humanity, talking about what Adam did and what Cain did. He said, I'm standing in place of them. And he could have said, I'm innocent, but he reserved that. He reserved that powerful sentence, I'm innocent, until the right time. But right now, he had to keep his mouth shut so that he could carry out the plan of redemption and shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. So he shed some blood at the whipping post, but now he's got to go to the cross and he has to pour it all out on the base of the cross and let it seep into the ground so it will be a voice that forever speaks on our behalf. Hallelujah. See, we should have been punished for that sin. Verse 10 said, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. This sounds hard to believe right here, you know. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, I mean, he offered Jesus. So why would he, why would he not expect Cain to bring a blood offering. If I'm willing to offer my own son, and in the mind of God, Jesus was already sacrificed before he even created the earth. He was sacrificed and hung on a cross in God's mind. And if I'm willing to hang my own son on the cross and pour his blood out on the ground, then you ought to be able to bring me a blood offering, a blood sacrifice, because that's what's required for sin, Cain. And if you think you can make an end run around it like your daddy did when he made those fig leaf coverings for him and his wife, you're dead wrong. Now do what's right. And Cain refused to do it. God ever say anything like that to you? Come on, sin's crouching at the door. God is telling you the Holy Ghost is speaking in a still small voice and saying, don't do it. Sin's crouching at the door, and as soon as you give into it, it's going to jump on you, and you're going to have to account for it. You have to defeat it at the door. That's what he gave Cain the, Cain the opportunity to do. So like I said, Jesus didn't die a martyr's death. The plan of redemption and the shedding of blood was planned before the foundation of the world, before God even created anything. He already had a plan of redemption. And when Jesus was whipped and crucified, the blood of the second Adam, which came from heaven, left his field and heaven come to the earth, humanity's field, uh, that blood was shed for you and me. And even though we're not Jesus, he sent his spirit, the Holy Ghost, to dwell in us and quicken us. Paul said that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and even though we're sinful humanity even though we're representative of the first Adam God saves us cleanses us with the blood sanctifies us through the word and then fills us with the Holy Ghost what a privilege we don't realize it the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 47 the first Adam is of the earth earthy the second Adam is the Lord from heaven he made it real clean clear right there didn't he and Paul describes these two Adams in detail in the book of Romans we're not going to go into it but he said wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death was passed upon all men through that one man for that all have sinned Wait a minute, I wasn't in the garden. I didn't sin. Adam sinned. I mean, this just isn't fair. Why should I be held responsible for something that Adam did? I wasn't even there. Because Adam was our father and we were his, we were in his loins. He was the father, the progenitor of the human race. And so sin comes into the world through Adam and death through his sin, and sin and death were passed down through the family tree. We got it from the family tree. And Paul didn't tell us that we were like Adam. 
He didn't say you were like sinful flesh. This was way more serious than that. He said we were in Adam. You know, being like Adam is one thing. Being in him is another thing. That's why Adam's disobedience became my disobedience. Adam's sin became my sin. Adam's rebellion became my rebellion because I was in him. So now we have this long line of humanity standing in darkness because of one man's disobedience, rebellion, and sin. He sold us down the proverbial river. Adam did. And that's why we're all lost and standing in darkness. The first Adam was our representative and he failed us. And that makes us mad because God used him to represent us and we say, God, that's not fair. The system isn't fair. You put Adam here to represent us and now we have to suffer for what he did? Uh-uh, we should be in the garden. You're not fair, God. I know somebody in here told God that at one time, besides me. But God says, don't, you, you don't understand. Wait a minute here. He says, you don't realize it, but I was setting precedence with the first Adam. Some of you already know where I'm going. Because if one man could represent humanity and plunge us all into sin, rebellion, darkness, and hell, then it stands to reason that I can raise up a second Adam and reverse everything that the first Adam did. Yeah. Pastor, they ain't shouting nearly as good as I'm preaching. It's like a spirit of slumber in here. <laughs> but God says if one man can get you into trouble then I reserve the right to have one man get you out of that trouble That's right. so if I didn't let Adam do what Adam did then I can't let the second Adam do what the second Adam did and just like you were in Adam now you can be in Christ there's an opportunity for you to change kingdoms. There's a t an opportunity yeah, for you to come, come out of the kingdom of darkness yeah, and transfer yourself yeah. into the kingdom of the glorious, yes. uh, the light of the gospel, the, the, the kingdom of God. Yes. And that was all made possible because the devil thought he was defeating Adam, but he was setting up the second Adam. Yes. Amen. See, God has to work legally in the earth. He has to operate legally. Whether you realize it or not, Satan is the god of this world. Yes. Our forefather, Adam, gave him the lease to the world. Yes, he did. God gave it to Adam and said, you rule, you have dominion. Yes. And Adam gave it to Satan when he sinned and said, now you rule and you have dominion. Mm -hmm. But God had him on a time lease. God knew what he was going to do. Yes. So he said, in 6,000 years, I'm taking it all back. 6,000 years, devil. You can be the God of this world for 6,000 years. But then I'm taking it all back. And we're close. But because he allowed us to be in Adam, the first Adam, and become sinful and rebellious and disobedient uh, and, and live in the kingdom of darkness, now we can be in Christ. He said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. Yes. Old things have passed away. Behold, yes, all sir. things have become new. Yes. Why? Because I changed kingdoms. Hallelujah. And what he says, you used to stand in the kingdom of darkness with the first Adam, but now, because of what the second Adam did, you can change positions and move from darkness to light. Yes. From death to life. Yes. The second Adam made that all possible. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we can never be sinless. No man can be sinless. There was only one. His name was Jesus Christ. Amen. But the Father looks at me because of what Jesus, the second Adam, did. Yes. 
And he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my frailty. He doesn't see my weakness. He doesn't see my rebellion. He sees only the blood of the second Adam. He sees the shed blood of his son. And that makes me the righteousness of God in Christ. He don't look on my sin. He, he, he never gets past the blood. That's why it was so important all throughout the Old Testament. God, God had to establish a system whereby man could have his sin covered, but it was all temporary. And the high priest would go into the, the, the most holy place once a year and atone for man's sins. Once a year. And then after that, all through the year, they had to make individual sacrifices for all different kinds of things. But the sin offering always was represented by blood. They had grain offerings and, and wine offerings and all kinds of offerings. But when it came to sin, uh, uh, the, the iniquity offering, it had to be blood. And that's what he was telling Cain. That's what he taught Adam. That's what Adam taught his sons. And Cain just rebelled. And God doesn't see my sin because I'm sinless. He doesn't see my sin because I'm perfect. He doesn't see my sin because I never messed up. He doesn't see my sin because he chose to see me through the blood. The blood is important. It's because of the blood of Jesus that has been shed for me. It's because of the blood of Jesus that was drained down at the foot of the cross, leaks into the ground, and is speaking for me and speaking yes. on my behalf. Yes. It's because I'm covered yes. with the blood of Jesus. Amen. When the devil comes to accuse me now, I just look him straight in the eye and say, I plead the blood. Yeah. I plead the blood. And that's what it means to plead the blood. It's a legal term. Yes. Uh, when I plead the fifth, that means you refer to the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. Yes. When I plead the blood, that means that the devil has to refer to the covenant uh -huh. that I have with, with God. Amen. That Jesus is the better mediator yes. of. Yes. That he's the ad advocate. He's yes. my attorney yes. concerning the covenant and the things that are in the covenant. And you know, when he, when he kept his mouth shut and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, when he went to hell in our place, yes. he was in the bowels of hell for yes. three days and three nights before the resurrection. Yes. He's laying on that slab. Satan and his cohorts are celebrating because they think that they defeated him. Yes. But he didn't realize, like he didn't with Cain, murder, and Abel, he didn't realize that the blood still speaks. Yes. He thought once he drained it out of Jesus' body, that would be the end of it. Just Ooh. like when Cain buried Abel, he thought that would be the end of that. Uh -huh. But God heard the voice of yes, the blood speaking. Yes. And God heard that voice of the blood from heaven. Yes. And he sent the Holy Ghost into the bowels of hell yes. because now Jesus, instead of keeping his mouth shut and being led to the slaughter, now he stands up and he says that I'm innocent. Yes. And the devil couldn't argue with him. Amen. He said, I'm innocent. And yes. the devil said, no, 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 you. No, 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 you. The devil could not think of one sin Jesus ever committed. He said, I took sin to the cross, but it wasn't my sin. Now he opens his mouth, and what happens? The Holy Ghost comes charging into the bowels of hell. He probably lit up the corridors of hell with the brightness of his coming, and he sweeps into that section or that chamber where Jesus was, and he raises him from the dead, takes him back up, and on his way, he preaches to the captives. Everybody, every Old Testament saint that died waiting for the promise, he preaches to them, and he clears out paradise, Abraham's bosom, and takes them to heaven. Yes. Yes. And he comes back down to that earthly grave, the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and he enters into there. He picks up his body, and it becomes glorified. Hallelujah. Almost perfect, except for the holes in his hands and feet and his side. Thank you, Lord. Except for the scars from the crown of thorns that was jammed onto his head. 
And when we're raised with newness of life and we're rejoined with our body, it will be perfect. Yes. If you have any imperfections now, they'll be gone. But Jesus yes. will bear his scars forever. Yes. Talk about fair. Let's talk about what's fair. It wasn't fair for Jesus to do what he did, but he did it for us. I don't know about you, but I have a greater appreciation yes. for him. Hallelujah. I have a greater appreciation for the blood. I have a better understanding yes. of the blood. I realize now more than ever the power that's in the blood. Yes. But it takes faith to operate it. Yes, when you it say, does. I plead the blood over my wife, yes. you better be seeing that blood and be, being just coming all over her. Yes. Yes. I plead the blood over my children as they go to school. You need to see the blood yes. in the mind of faith and in the spirit. Yes. Being poured all over like yes. it was being done for real. Yes. I plead the blood over my finances. I plead the blood over your finances. Yes. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> that comes from Glory. the Spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. I plead the blood over your finances. I plead the blood over your families. I plead the blood over your health. I plead the blood over your children. I plead the blood over your schools. I plead the blood over your house. I plead the blood over your car. I plead the blood over all your possessions. Hallelujah. The blood is still speaks today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The blood. The blood. So when we plead the blood now, you know, and Peter talked about the blood of sprinkling. The blood of sprinkling. When that when they went into the most holy place to sanctify it, they did it by the sprinkling of blood. You know, if you go into the heavenly holy of holies right now, there'll be a Bible, there'll be a, the mercy seat, and there'll be a Bible sitting on top of that mercy seat. And if you look at it real close, it's going to have spots of blood on it. The blood of sprinkling. Because everything was sanctified with the blood. Made holy and set aside for God's use with the blood. Hallelujah. The blood hasn't been done away with. No. Churches stop preaching about it. Uh -huh. That's it. We need the power of the blood yes, in our we lives. We need the power of the blood. That's how this whole Thank thing Lord. started with a blood offering. Yes. Yes. And it's going to end with a blood offering. Thank you, Lord. And you know, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to have blood running through his veins. When we're resurrected, we're not going to have blood running through our veins. How are we going to live? Well, there'd be no need for blood because the blood represents the covenant and the covenant will be fulfilled. Jesus needed that blood so that he could shed it for the covenant. Yes. Well, it's been shed. There's no, no more need for the blood for him. Amen? I'm going to quit right here. I could go on and on. I hope you learned something today. Yes. I hope you learn how powerful the blood is. And don't be ashamed to talk about it. Yes. You know, churches don't want to talk about it because it's just some, it's just not a subject that people want to talk about. It's icky, it's smelly, it's sticky. Ooh. No, this blood is precious. And God can pour that blood on me anytime yes. he wants. Amen. And maybe Adam felt yeah. that way and he felt that way. Because once they got their the skins wrapped around them, their wet blood on them, and warm blood, they knew a life was given for their life. It was yeah. a trade. It was a, yeah. a trade-off, a, a life for a life. And, you know, it's not cruel. I mean, I don't like to see animals slain, but I like steak. And, and, and you know, I don't like to see animals slain for me, but that was God's remedy. Your life for the animals. Take your pick. Much as I hate you, Mr. Lamb, you're gone. You're going to be lamb chops tonight because I'm trading your life for mine. And that's what Jesus did. He traded his life for ours. Amen. Amen. Start pleading the blood. See if it doesn't make a difference for yes. you. Amen. Yes. And believe. You got to have faith. Yes. You draw that blood line around your door. You got to believe in that blood. You got to yes. believe it's there. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm done. God bless y'all. We love you and appreciate you. We'll see you next week.
this concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.